You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with Travis Ryer on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. This is Southern Fried Sports with Bama Online Senior Analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Southern Fried Sports right here on your home for Alabama Crimson Tide Athletics. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com with you each and every weekday morning from 11 a.m. until noon. The show, as always, brought to you by Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Get by there. Get ready for a big, big weekend on the Diamonds. You're an Alabama fan. You've got Looks like a lot of baseball still to be played for Brad Bohannon's team in Hoover. And then, of course, super regional play in Tuscaloosa this weekend with Alabama and Kentucky getting together at the Rhodes House. That uh, series, that uh, super regional kicks off early, early start tomorrow. We'll get into some of that as we move throughout the program. But, of course, you can treat yourself each and every day. At Peterbrook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. Joined on the program by the executive producer of SFS, Mr. Jacob Harrison. And together, we combine to form the 60 bit of Sports Talk Radio. Jacob, I saw Nick Saban with what appeared to be the next wave of leadership council members. That's the connecting of the dots I did with the lake outing yesterday. Probably saw that on your social media timelines. Could you use a lake day today, Jacob? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to try to get one in next week. <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, it kind of got me to thinking, and I asked the question on the personal Twitter account just before we went on the air. You can pick just one. You can go to the beach. You can do the lake. And I'm going to put the river in there. Some people are river folks. Lake River. I've got those together. Or you can lounge by the pool. You can only pick one. Which one of those three are you picking, Jacob Harrison? Ah, uh, that's tough. That's tough. You know, down in Baldwin County, it got all of them. Uh, yeah. I got to go with the river, man. It's it, the the sun's too 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 evil <laughs> down yeah. at the beach. You, the wind doesn't counterbalance it. I love the the cool calm of the river. Go tubing sometime. Yeah little protection there on the river the lake kind of the same thing i think i've aged to the point of being pool guy i didn't really think that would ever happen and i never was a big beach person despite like you growing up with access to you know the atlantic coast over in the northeast florida area of the southeastern region 
just never really loved the beach. I think it was because where I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, Jacksonville is so broad in terms of landmass. You can say you live in Jacksonville and you're going to go to the beach. Well, if you live on the west side, west side, like I did, that was still in my youth. That was still at least a 45 minute drive each way. And so just never really enjoyed that whole process of the beach trip of get up, let's go to the beach, hang out all day on the beach and then salt, sand, everything else, get in the car and let's ride an hour back. No, that never was the thing. Actually, we had a lake place, family lake place growing up and I'm with you. I was very much a spring fed, beautiful water, still had a nice beach and then you could you could get up the hillside there and you would be back in the cabin or under some, uh, some Spanish Oaks, you know, you could get out of it. But I think what you're saying is very much the case for me as well. When it comes to the beach, at least the formative years of the beach, kind of like down along the Gulf coast, the Atlantic coast down in Florida, at least not a lot of cover, not a lot of cover from the old sun there. I will say this, as you get up the Atlantic coast and you get into South Carolina, you get more of that. You get the Hilton Head, you get a little north of that. You can get out of the sun easier, it seems like, on those beaches of the South Carolina coast. And, of course, those were on full display last week with the PGA Championship at Kiowa Island. So we've got some responses to that all-important question that comes to us from yesterday's leg day with Nick Saban and some of his returning players. makes a lot of sense to have an event like that as you get ready to go into a stretch for Alabama football that is largely dependent upon players taking control of the team. Yes, you will still have David Ballou, Dr. Matt Ray doing their things in sports science Strength and conditioning. What is it now? It's referred to more now, not even as strength and conditioning. It's sports performance now. Football performance. So, you know, those guys will obviously have a big say in what happens uh, between now and August. But you got some player-driven stuff that has to take place, whether it's Pascal, individual drills, positional drills. Uh, You got to have some guys step forward. So that's essentially what's happening now. Again, as we essentially crank up the college football calendar year. 205-342-9904. That is the Peterbrook Chocolatier studio line. If you'd like to jump on board with us, we will talk more college football coming up in the very next segment with Chris Hummer, the national college football writer for us at 247sports.com. Look forward to that discussion. Among the things we'll touch on with Chris Hummer, this high school football opt-out Um generation that we're, I think, about to encounter. You saw it here recently in the state of Texas with a four-star running back committed to Texas here in the last week or so. He said, I'm done, done with the high school football. Actually used the words wear and tear as a high school junior in relation to his football career. Did kid start playing when he was three? You know, and wasn't it, wasn't it tag or flag, you know, when you're little, little these days? But we'll talk with Chris Summer about that. I know Chris has some poignant thoughts. The college football professor, as he's referred to here on the program, Mr. Chris Summer, he'll come up with us here in the next segment. You saw yesterday after we went off the air, Alabama, Florida, September the 18th. 
B-Y-O-I-V. Yeah, in addition to B-Y-O-B that it'll be for a lot of folks pregame in Gainesville, those same folks better B-Y-O-I-V, as in their own IV bags, because that's set for a 2.30 kickoff in mid-September. And a lot of folks saw that and took it as, well, maybe this is more of an indication that one of the CBS doubleheader situations is going to involve Alabama and Texas A&M in early October in primetime. Because 2011, as you recall, Alabama at Florida, that was part of a primetime situation on CBS. Uh, This game will be at 2.30 at Florida Field. One of the very hottest games I've ever attended in my life, maybe the hottest, was Alabama at Florida in 1986. Alabama won that football game 21-7. Didn't have a lot of yards in that game, but David Castile, Alabama got in a couple of three goal line situations. They'd bring in David Castile, a running back from the panhandle of Florida. And he was back if there was fantasy football back then, people would have loved to have had David Castile on that Saturday because you had Bobby Humphrey, you know, at running back and, you know, Hump's doing a lot of the work at the running back position. David Castile come in and cash in the touchdowns. But that was, I believe that was a one central kickoff in September. And that was the era when you still had the rug at Florida Field. And so that seemed to take things up about, I don't know, 25 degrees surface of the sun type situation. But you will have Alabama, Florida, 230. Alabama's done pretty well in that 230 spot. I believe the last time Alabama went down to Gainesville, though, that was a 230 game, right? In 2006, made that trip. That one wasn't as oppressive in terms of the heat. Now, the performance by the Alabama offense that day in a loss to Urban Meyer's second team at Florida was pretty oppressive. But uh, it wasn't – that was the game, by the way. You've heard Pops on the program talk about he'll never go to another game at Florida Field. That was that game because pregame, we were over by the UF library on the campus there in Gainesville – And Pops had, you know, he had him a little red solo cup. And all of a sudden, here come these UF biker police. They're on 10 speeds. And they wheel up to our group, you know, just a fun tailgating group, mostly family. And uh, this guy starts, this officer starts going around looking and asking to see in everybody's cup. And Pops was so put off by that, he officially retired from games in Gainesville. He said that was it. Now, he did go to the Florida-Georgia game this last year, but, of course, that game's played Jacksonville. So he hasn't entirely wavered on that pledge. But that was the game in 2006. Alabama, of course, in 1999, that was a 2.30 kick. And one of the biggest upsets of the post-Stallings, pre-Nick Saban era there, that stretch from 97 to 2006, Alabama just for no good reason at all, given the way that season was unfolding, goes into Gainesville and shocks 
the Gators. You had a missed extra point that came into play there for the Gators in OT. And then, of course, Jeff Kemp, Alabama's kicker at the time, he missed, right, his first attempt to win that game in overtime with an extra point, but an offsides call against Benny Alexander of Florida. Don't ask me why I remember these things. Don't ask. I can't remember to pick up the almond milk later today at the grocery store. But Benny Alexander offsides, and Kemp gets another shot. and Alabama wins the game with Sean Alexander, and lo and behold, goes on to beat Steve Spurrier. You want to talk about unexplainable things in that stretch between Stallings and Saban and Alabama football? You still can't explain 99 to me. How that team had talent, don't get me wrong, but within the building there off Bryant Drive, seemed to be about as dysfunctional as it could be. And then turns around and goes on to beat Steve Spurrier and the Mighty Gators twice, the second time in the SEC championship game. Going to be a hot one. Going to be a hot one, bottom line. I said all that to say it's going to be a hot one. Alabama, Florida, September 18th. 205 342 9904, of course, a lot of eyes, a lot of ears, a lot of attention on Hoover, Alabama, as the Alabama baseball team yesterday continued to crash, crash the national seed party there at the Hoover Met, also known as the SEC Baseball Tournament, the Crimson Tide this time with a 3-2 win over the Tennessee Balls in 11 innings. Controversy, right? controversy in the ninth as an obstruction call on the Vols wipes away what looked initially to be a walk-off fielder's choice. Instead, the obstruction, as we saw on the replay, it was an accurate call. Within the rules of the sport today, in terms of how you go into second base in that situation, yeah, I'd say uh, Peyton Wilson, after that, after that sequence, would say, hey, he got me a little bit, you know? And so the obstruction call holds up. Alabama, Owen oh, Dio Dowdy. Clutch for a second straight day, driving in Sam Prater with a single at the middle. And now Alabama is back in the conversation for a spot in NCAA regional play if you include the regular season wins with the two in Hoover now. That's 14 wins versus SEC comp, including a couple of RPI boosters and the potential for more now. You got the Florida Gators, speaking of Florida, coming up this evening in the winner's bracket scenarios. And so Alabama and Florida, Dylan Smith, your Saturday starter, your number two starter on conference play weekends this season with the injuries, Connor Prelip, Antoine Jean, Dylan Smith has pitched pretty good. So Alabama's in a good spot here with their Saturday guy and two wins already under their belt. You get a third one here. And I think at least you are in a position then if you don't, if you don't get the nod for an at, uh, at large bid in regional play, you can then make a legitimate argument that you should have been in. As for the Gators, they're playing for a host site. Kind of came into Hoover in a neck-and-neck neck situation with South Carolina. It seemed like that was the feeling among those who really put a lot of time and effort, like D1 Baseball and others, 
into covering the sport, an either or situation for the Gators in South Carolina. South Carolina swept Florida in the regular season, but as we know, Alabama disposed of South Carolina in the single elimination portion of this tournament. So the Gamecocks are at home and they're having to watch the Gators now pile out, pile up wins and fortify their regional host resume. 205-342-9904. We'll get into some college basketball talk maybe later in the program too. Some news of note yesterday involving Alabama men's basketball scheduling for the not-too-distant future, immediate future, I would say, for Nate Oates' team. We'll do that a little bit later in the program, but first, we're going to check in with Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 247sports.com. Chris is coming up next on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Alabama football countdown clock is driven by Crawford Insurance, Tuscaloosa's low-cost auto insurer. Call 752-6489 for a free quote today. There are, there are, there are 100 days until Alabama football. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A very warm afternoon, the sky partially sunny. A few isolated showers are possible through the evening hours. The high today, 89, tonight's low 70. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds, a chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms by afternoon, the high 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 80 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Tide 100.9. For more coverage of Alabama football, visit us at Tide100.9.com or download the free Tide 100.9 app. The Crimson Tide will not be denied. Yeah, this one right here goes out to all the babies, mamas, mamas. Baby mama's mama. Yeah, I like this. You know, this question I threw out there about lake, river, beach, or pool. Beach is making a strong run here. I said early, I earlier, I think I've to put it nicely, I think I've graduated to pool person. For me, the pool option, especially if you have a pool at your residence, it's kind of like, do I load up everything and make the haul to the beach for the day? Or do I just walk out back and enjoy the pool and know that I've got the personal restroom right there? I've got the kitchen full of beverages, ice cold beverages, food right there. What does that sound like these days? That sounds like that decision people have to make in relation to college football. I've got this 60-inch HD right here. I got this AC. I've got this fridge. I got my own restroom. I get to control who I sit around. Do I really want to make the trek three, four hours for that 230 matchup? With Southern Miss in September, that's kind of where the pool stacks up for me in those options. Let's ask Chris Hummer. We like to ask Chris all kinds of questions here 
on Southern Fried Sports. After all, he is the college football professor. Chris Hummer, national college football writer for 247sports.com. What about it? Being there in the state of Texas, you're pretty well landlocked. But uh, so is it beach, lake, or pool for you in terms of preference, Chris? That's a, I mean, that's a great question. I just feel like the pool is the number one seed if it's not your pool, because having a pool <laughs> is a lot of work, like a lot of work. We had one growing up and it's not easy. So I'm going to go with the beach. We have had some, we don't have a beach close to me in Texas, but uh, Corpus Christi is like four hours away and it's always a good time. So I'll go beach is a strong number one seed there. Yeah. Beach is making a real run here. I, I'm pool guy. And I'm with you. I grew up with a pool, and I had to scrub that thing. I had to clean that thing. And uh, that wasn't fun. But now they've got these robots that you've probably seen, you know, that'll basically do all that work for you. So uh, the robots in my day were named Travis and Gene, the Ryer brothers. That was the two <laughs> robots, the computer robots. Hey, Yeah, um, mine, mine were Chris and David, so I, I experienced the same thing. Yeah, there you go. You, you understood. They didn't let us do like the chemistry stuff with the pool. You know what I mean? Like the chlorine and shocking it and all that. They didn't trust us that much. But the manual labor part of it, yeah, our folks were more than willing to allow us to to handle that part of the job. Chris, um, you know, this situation that we're seeing uh, with high school football opt-outs perhaps becoming more of a growing trend at that level, especially with kids – making their collegiate decisions earlier and earlier, it seems like. I know there's been a case here recently uh, right there in the sort of neighborhood of where you're at. And um, so what do you think? Is this is this just is this going to be part of the landscape moving forward with with high school players opting out for, say, their senior year? I think it's I mean, I certainly think it'll happen sometimes. I think the Jaden Blue situation is what you're referencing and that was a little more complicated than him just deciding he wanted to opt out. Um, I think there's a little more behind the scenes there, but I I guess if you're an elite prospect and you already have your school committed and they're going to back you, there is, uh, I guess an understanding as a running back, especially not to have the mileage in your legs, but it could be to your advantage. But I just think over the long term, it's going to be detrimental um, to the sport and for development if these players miss out on their senior years, which is just, such a critical time as these players kind of grow and develop, not only as like people, but as football players. Um, so it'll be interesting. And I, I think this year will be a really interesting test case. There were so many players who actually didn't really opt out of their senior seasons. They had their senior seasons opted out for them. And a lot of those kids are going to be on campus this year as true freshmen. And if they don't miss a beat, like I think there could be a precedent set for future players for sure. Yeah. You know, I could kind of see it more if we're talking about guys graduating a year early and reclassifying and jumping ahead to college football if they feel like they're ready. But I don't, I don't, and I'm not a huge fan of that because I, I'm with you. I think we've had this discussion on multiple occasions that senior year, um, that 17, 18 year old year there, huge in terms of uh, development on multiple fronts, not just physically. Um, but I could see it more if guys were reclassifying to go on to college and, and get involved at that level. I don't get it as much as an understanding as you alluded to in your initial comments, every situation is different in all likelihood, or a lot of them are going to be different. I don't see just going to high school for my senior year, and not playing football. Uh, that, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 
Yeah. Also, like, I, I would imagine a lot of like those are your friends. Like, it'd be real awkward right. if you're if you're this the best player on the team. Like, you're hoping to win district for your senior year, like one last ride, and you tell your boys like, "Oh, sorry, just don't don't feel like playing this year." Like, I don't think it's that's kind of a reason I don't think it's become I don't think it'll become a huge trend, but I can see situationally where it could happen, and I I think the reclassifying makes more sense because at least with the reclassifying you get the value of getting on campus a little bit earlier mm-hmm. and like spending that season, even if you redshirt like around a college strength and conditioning program by just sitting out your senior year and just kind of standing off to the side. Like, I don't really know what you get out of it. Like Demond Demas, I think is an interesting example of that. He tried to transfer schools, the UIL denied him. And that was out in Texas. He signed with Texas A&M. He was a little, pretty raw in the first place. And like, essentially he didn't see the field last year because he just wasn't ready. And he could have maybe spent that final season at Texas A&M and he reclassified. He might have been a little more ready to see the field. But um, I, as you said, every case is different. But I, I don't I don't really see this happening like long-term a ton just because I think there are so many factors that kind of push against that being the case. I know that you, Brandon Marcello, and Brad Crawford, um, those guys also of our national staff, there at uh, 247sports.com recently had a TJ Finley roundtable, we'll call it, in relation to the quarterback competition now at Auburn with Finley uh, making it known that he's moving on to the Plains. Uh, reading some of those comments from you guys, I, I know for you personally, do you think this thing can really turn into a competition with Finley going in there or? Do you think Bo Nix is is pretty safe at least through the twenty twenty one season? I think, I mean, I'm not the biggest Bo Nix fan in the world. Like, I think he is super inconsistent, and some of it's not fair. I think because he was a five star and because he beat helped beat Oregon that first start, he was lifted on this pedestal immediately that maybe he wasn't ready for, and he just hasn't been that good uh, since. I think part of that's talent. Like his offensive line hasn't been great since he got to Auburn. His receivers outside of maybe Seth Williams haven't been great. I know Anthony Schwartz got drafted, but I think Anthony Schwartz was pretty flawed in his own right um, in terms of his kind of ability to run routes and to do more than kind of just be that kind of gadget option. So Bo Nix has had problems around him, but he was better than TJ Finley as a true freshman, as TJ Finley was at LSU last year. Bo Nix was much better than TJ was last year during his sophomore season. So unless TJ makes a huge jump um, as the second year kind of player in college football. I just don't see Bo Nix losing his job. He's been around Brian Harson throughout the spring. He has a jump there on the new system. Bo Nix has more experience as a college QB. It's still his team, despite the fact that kind of the media and kind of fans beat up on him a little bit. Like that's his job. And I think TJ would have to be much, much better than Bo to take the job from him um, this fall. And I just don't see that being the case because Bo Nix in his career has been better than TJ has by a pretty significant amount. If you look at the stats and look at everything that comes with that. So Bo might drive you crazy, but he's still the best option Auburn has in my opinion. I'd also like to welcome you to the team LSU on the rise squad. I see here uh, in a piece you also did on risers and tumblers in power five leagues around the country, you have the LSU Tigers as a team on the rise. Talk about what went into that selection and, um, you know, how do you anticipate, oh, and this program being able to weather all the the distractions that are coming its way and really been ongoing for a while now? 
Yeah, never boring in Baton Rouge, never boring. And a lot of that's on the program itself for how it handles itself. But on the field, I think this LSU team is going to be much, much better. The talent was there a season ago. They just kind of didn't put it together. The Bo Pelini kind of experiment was a disaster, resulted in the 5-5 five and five record. But if you can kind of look past that, there was some stuff that you really liked. Um, there was kind of a quarterback rotation all year for LSU. TJ Finley started five games. Miles Brennan started three games before he got hurt. Max Johnson started two games. But when Max and Miles started, and they're kind of the two quarterbacks duking it out right now for the starting job, LSU's offense was excellent. LSU still finished as a top 35 offense last year in terms of points per game without Joe Brady. And now they're bringing in Joe Brady's essentially brain trust from Carolina to kind of right the ship on that regard. So I think that offense is going to be quite explosive again. Kayshawn Boutet is one of the best receivers in college football. They have a good running back group. Their offensive line is solid. So I think that unit's going to be really, really strong. And if not, I think it actually is probably going to be a little bit better this year. So that's, that's a positive. And I would say of the defense, it can't get any worse. Um, that unit was like 128th nationally in yards allowed per play. Like when you consider that you have two first round cornerbacks on the outside, that seems impossible, but Bo Pelini managed to make it happen. So if that unit is just average next year, they're going to be significantly better. And I think average is kind of the floor for them. Like there's just too much talent on that defense for it to be that kind of disaster. Again, um, I think LSU is only ranked outside the top 70 in yards allowed per play once in the last two decades. And that was last year. So everything we know about LSU in the past is that's going to bounce back. And if that's the case, LSU is going to have a great offense. It's going to have a decent, decent defense. And with LSU's talent overall, that's going to equate. It's going to. I'm sorry. That's going to equate to at least nine wins. Like that team is just too talented not to kind of be in that range. LSU, yeah, went from Bo Pelini to no Pelini after that abbreviated second stint by Pelini. Um, Let's talk about another team on Alabama's schedule for the 2021 season that you have as an SEC tumbler, and that being the Florida Gators. Uh, you got issues with Florida just maybe more so at quarterback, offensive side of the ball with all the attrition there, or do you think the issues for this Florida team might be a little more widespread than that? I think it's a little bit of everything. I don't really think Emory Jones is going to be bad. He won't be Kyle Trask. Like Kyle Trask just had one of the best seasons by a quarterback in Florida history. He was the best quarterback Florida's had since Tim Tebow. So I don't, I don't quite think Emory Jones will be there, but Dan Mullen has a history and a proven track record of developing quarterbacks. And I have no doubt that Emory Jones will be an above average SEC quarterback next season. My biggest issues are the weapons he's going to be throwing to. That offensive line is uh, still kind of a work in progress as well, which is another conversation altogether. They're starting Gene Lance at right tackle potentially, which is a big, big issue when you're a SEC caliber offensive line. But those wide receivers, particularly losing Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Toney, two of the biggest mismatches in college football, are just not easily replaced. Like you can't replace Kyle Pitts at tight end. That's just not going to happen. They have a couple of pretty decent options that are going to kind of take over for him, but nobody that's going to strike fear in a defense quite the way Kyle Pitts did. And I could say the same thing about Kadarius, who was a monster in the slot last year. Like him and Kyle Pitts lining up on the same sort of side of the formation last year happened pretty frequently. And it was almost unfair for the defense. Nobody could kind of run with that. And you can't lose two kind of queens, like queens on the chessboard of that caliber, not take a step back. And defensively, I just kind of question if Todd Grantham has enough pass rushers to make his pressure-heavy scheme work. Um, we've seen Todd Grantham be really successful at times when he's got 
pass rushers and edge rushers and kind of interior defensive linemen who can create kind of a push, but he didn't have that last year. I'm not sure outside of Brendan Cox, uh, kind of off the edge, if he has that this year. And when you combine that with kind of their aggression offensively, I just see Florida taking a slight step back from being a national title contender last year to kind of being maybe second or third in the SEC uh, East this year. Speaking of Florida, between neutral site and road games for Alabama in 2021, we're talking about double-digit numbers once again in terms of the Crimson Tide being heavy road favorites. So I'm going to give you these lines, and I want you to tell me which of these opponents, in your opinion, is most likely to cover these numbers. Alabama opening against Miami in Atlanta. Alabama 17-and-a-half-point favorite in that one. A few weeks later, Alabama goes to Gainesville. Right now, a 15-point favorite. Alabama in early October goes to Texas A&M. Right now, Alabama a 13-point favorite. Alabama goes to Auburn to cap the regular season. At last check, Alabama favored by 18 and a half, this according to FDS Sportsbook anyway, the numbers kind of fluctuate and differ depending on the shop that you're looking at this early in the process. But of those neutral road games for Alabama, which of those opponents do you think, Chris, most likely to cover those numbers? I think Texas A&M is probably the team I'd point to. Um, I know Texas A&M has questions at quarterback uh, replacing Kellen Mond. But they have a lot of skill talent around him, like whoever is that quarterback, likely um, Haynes King. So they're going to be able to produce points. And I think most importantly, Texas A&M has a defense that I think is going to be elite this year. Uh, Jimbo Fisher's recruited really, really well. That front four that he has, like he had, not only does he have like a potential first round pick on the outside, uh, a first round pick off the edge. But he has multiple, multiple players to kind of rotate in. The depth on that team is crazy. They're going to have a former four- and five-star recruit running fourth string this year, kind of in that rotation. So when you add that to a really strong secondary and a pretty good linebacker group, I think that A&M defense is going to be good enough to buoy them all season long. And when you're talking about slowing down Alabama, that's what you need. You need an elite defense. And I think Texas A&M has enough firepower, plus the home field advantage they have at Kyle Field, which in my opinion is one of maybe the three or four loudest places in the country, I would point to Texas A&M as the team that has the best chance of at least covering there for sure. Yeah, talk that uh, maybe Alabama A&M going to be that primetime CBS doubleheader weekend. Uh, That could take things up a notch or two. We've seen Alabama out there at night. I think, uh, what, 2017 was a night game there at Kyle Field, as I recall. Hey, Chris, as we let you get out of here, I know you spent extensive time with what could be a big star with the 2022 recruiting cycle in Ohio State quarterback commit Quinn Ewers. Is it Ewers or Ewers? I know you were able to get to the bottom of that for sure. Or have been. It's Ewers. It's Ewers. Yeah, it's Ewers. Ewers. All right. Not quite quite as strong as the Miami uh, pronunciation that you had going earlier, which I I quite enjoyed. That's Patrick. That's the late. Patrick Fane Dye used to refer to uh, Pat Dye to Miami as Miami. But anyway, um, viewers, uh, you know, it seems like there's a lot of talk already about the guy in 2023 that I think we both know who I'm talking about there for that cycle. 
but in relation to quarterback prospects, maybe in the last decade or so, where does Quinn Ewers stack up? Because his ranking and number one overall, you know, not just the number one quarterback prospect, but the number one overall player in the 2022 class tells me uh, maybe this guy's going to be sort of uh, not generational, but maybe once a decade type talent we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I, our old friend Charles Power, who we both know really well, I think a year and a half ago wrote that Quinn was the best sophomore prospect since Trevor Lawrence. And I think he's that kind of player. Um, Quinn plays for South Lake Carroll High School, which around here is one of the largest and most successful high school football programs. I think people might remember from like 2004 to 2006, they won three straight national championships. That program lost one game. Also produced Greg McElroy, who I know uh, a lot of Alabama fans are familiar with. And Quinn is the most kind of hyped prospect to come out of school ever. Um, when you watch him in person, the ball just kind of comes out of his hand differently. Um, it almost has like a second life when it's about to get the receiver. He's got that kind of arm talent. He can also make all the touch throws. There's not really much you can't do as a passer. His numbers throughout his career have been ridiculous. He had a sports hernia that he was dealing with last year. He had surgery for it midseason. And his numbers were still crazy good on the way to a state championship game appearance here at 6A, which is as difficult as it gets football-wise in the country in high school. So he is he is that dude. Um, he is. I think I would stack him ahead of those 2023 quarterbacks, who include Arch Manning, who I know you were referencing earlier. He is probably the best quarterback prospect we've seen since Trevor Lawrence, at least when you talk about high school. And I think he's the guy at Ohio State who's going to come in, and in three years he'll be a first-round draft pick without much question. He is. He's got everything you want as a quarterback. You, I know you were able to get maybe more inside with, you know, who this guy is as a person. Is he off the field? Is he just kind of every other kid out there? Or, you know, is there a maturity that you already pick up from him? Intangibly, what are we talking about with Quinn Ewers? I mean, he's a, I mean, his dad even described it to me as, like, Quinn's a pretty boring kid, so... Like, honestly, uh, there wasn't a ton to, like, really dig into. He was committed to Texas for a little bit. He flipped to Ohio State during the fall when Texas was kind of struggling, and he's pretty much stayed off the radar since. He likes to hunt. He likes to fish. Um, he hangs out with his friends. Like, there's not a lot to tap into there. Um, I, like, I don't know if it's of interest, but at one point he was working with Joe McCauley, who also worked with Mac Jones. Um, and at a very young age, that quarterback coach, said this is the best kid we've ever worked with including mac so wow. those two are loosely connected as well so he's been he's been hyped up from a very young age he also used to work with ty detmer's dad um so there's a lot of ties out of some famous qb coaches and he's just kind of a kid who stayed off the radar he doesn't tweet much he doesn't post on instagram much and his parents seem very happy with him so his high school coach riley dodge who uh was a former quarterback at unt and was mm -hmm. followed uh, Greg McElroy, raves about him. And yeah, not much to him. There you go. You know, we butt up against that noontime hour on this program, Chris, so we love nuggets. Any nuggets we can get, you know, we love them. So we appreciate those. <laughs> we always appreciate you here on Southern Fried Sports. Thanks a lot, Chris. Have a great weekend. Hope to catch up again soon. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much. There he goes, Chris Hummer. If you haven't already today, check out that outstanding update that Chris Hummer has on Quinn Ewers, a guy that's being talked about again in terms of, as you heard from Chris, best quarterback prospect since Trevor Lawrence. Seems like uh, 10 years ago, doesn't it? It was just, what, four? 
<laughs> We're going to step aside for a break. When we come back. More of a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right after this. You're listening to Southern Fried Sports with BamaOnline.com senior analyst Travis Ryer on your home for Alabama sports. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. Born on this day in 1975, Andre Lauren Benjamin. That's what his mama named him. He's better known as, of course, Andre 3000. Of that dynamic Southern hip-hop duo right there, Outkast. Atlanta, Georgia's very own Andre 3000 turns 46 today it is a thursday edition of southern fried sports right here on tide 100.9 fm travis schreier senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, with you each and every weekday from 11 a.m until noon thanks again to chris hummer national college football writer for 247sports.com sharing some of his precious time and insight with us on the program shifting gears real quick how about alabama basketball You know what Alabama basketball sort of reminds me of at this point, heading into year three under Nate Oates? Kind of reminds me of what we've seen from Tennessee with Rick Barnes going into Knoxville and resurrecting that situation. That was pretty well a dumpster fire at the time that he took over, but Barnes immediately, immediately, made his presence felt on the recruiting trail. Tennessee is recruited at a very high level. You started to see Tennessee involved in more of these TV games in college basketball. And now that's basically what we're seeing from Nate Oates at Alabama recruiting at a top 10 level. And now, according to a report yesterday from John Rothstein of CBSSports.com, I think others also had the report. Alabama Gonzaga. How about that one for early December? And if my math is correct, December the 4th, the reported date for the matchup between Alabama and Gonzaga, which this year, this time around, would take place in Seattle with a return game, according to Rothstein, in 2022 in Birmingham, newly renovated Legacy Arena there in Birmingham. That's what we're seeing from uh, Crimson Tide men's basketball. And here's the thing with Tennessee. For all the recruiting and for all of these opportunities that they've taken on more of under Rick Barnes, time for Tennessee to bust through. Made it to the Sweet 16 under Barnes. Alabama made it to the Sweet 16 in March under Nate Oates. Tennessee is... uh, is due to maybe get to the eight. And that's going to be the expectation for Alabama with Nate Oates 
and the level at which they've recruited. They've done a nice job in terms of player development. And Nate Oates, if you've listened to him for even a couple of minutes, sitting a guy who shies down from those expectations. He loves them. So some similar arcs to this point, I would say, between between Tennessee and Alabama. Tennessee, we told you yesterday, Tennessee is very passionate suddenly about its college baseball. Man, social media yesterday, the Vols on the Twitter were, it was like 1998. If there had been Twitter in 1998 for that Tennessee national championship season on the football field, that's what it would have looked like. It's that it's that heated, that passionate. Tennessee fans, we talked about yesterday, grasping anything they can at this point. Barnes has done some good things in men's basketball, but man, the biggest reason if you're a Tennessee fan that you don't want this run by the Tennessee baseball team to end pre-Omaha is that the harsh reality is that football's next. So you want this baseball team to keep playing for as long as possible. Just to keep that that thought of another football season. You know, look. The loss to Alabama yesterday on the baseball diamond. It was tough. But it's not as tough the third week of May as it's been for the Vols. The third and in some cases fourth week of October where football is concerned. We're going to step aside for a final break. We come back. We'll put a wrap on a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports right here on Tide 100.9 FM right after this. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A very warm afternoon. The sky partially sunny. A few isolated showers are possible through the evening hours. The high today, 89. Tonight's low, 70. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds. A chance of scattered showers and thunderstorms by afternoon. The high, 87. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 82 degrees in Tuscaloosa. The flagship station for Alabama Crimson Tide football. Alabama touchdown. Only on Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. One, two, three, up. My baby don't mess around because she loves me so and this I know for sure. Man, if you were in Bryant Stadium in the mid-aughts on a given fall Saturday, you heard this one. They woe it out. In fact, it may have hung around for multiple years, if I recall correctly. You might even catch it today. Wildly popular. In stadiums everywhere, really. 15 years ago or so. I'll tell you what's pretty popular, too. This little question we threw out today on the program. You can only pick one. Lake slash river beach or pool and i can report that on the twitter lake is making a late run here as we wind down the program good pal trevor hewitt he says no question it's the lake well trev a alum of innisfree irish pub is an employee noted employee there in the downtown area of Tuscaloosa. If I got invited to the lake parties that Trevor Hewitt's been invited to in the past, I'd probably go lake too. I don't think I've ever been afforded those type of lake party opportunities though. 
So yeah, Trev, I get where you're coming from. But we are. We're getting some lake here late. Still plenty of beach, though. Folks love the beach. I don't get it with the beach. I like going to the beach. If we're going to go for a week, I'll go with you. You know, I can retreat back to the condo. And here's the thing about me with the condo anyway. The first thing I check on with a condo, do they have a pool? And what is exactly entailed in the pool area? Because I end up spending a lot of time at the pool, even at the beach. So it's got to be the beach. Meanwhile, in Hoover, how about that for a segue? Is that pro or what, Jacob Harrison? They didn't teach you that in J school, my friend. Um, you've got Tennessee in an elimination game up on Mississippi State, 8-1, to one, top of the seventh. So no extra innings coming into play there, you wouldn't think. Then you'll have Georgia at Ole Miss this afternoon, leading you up to Florida and Alabama. Again, Dylan Smith expected to make the start for the Crimson Tide on the bump. Mississippi State came into the week feeling really good about its national seed position, and maybe that's still the case, but it looks like the Bulldogs are going to two and Q in Hoover. Tennessee very much locking down its national seed status. Vanderbilt in Arkansas in the other winner's bracket game. That's the late game tonight. Both those teams look to be in good shape. So uh, the four national top eight seeds, you would think are in okay position once the dust settles in Hoover. But um, Mississippi State, very much in danger of two and out at the SEC baseball tournament. Alabama, again, of course, coming up later this afternoon. Hope that weather holds up. Had some delays yesterday. As soon as I said no extra inning games, no rain, what happened? After we went off the air yesterday. Yep, exactly. That's going to do it for a Thursday edition of Southern Fried Sports. Thanks to Chris Hummer for joining us on the program. Thanks, as always, to the wonderfully talented and versatile Jacob Harrison working his magic as well. The lunch whistle on this Thursday. It is a Thursday, which means it's ladies' night and the feeling is right at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Weeknight specials for you each and every day of the week. And then, of course, the pies are out of this world. The craft cocktails are out of this world. Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Until 11 a.m. on Friday. Have a great rest of your Thursday, everybody. <laughs>